a year ago, I got an offer where a company wanted to buy my business for $3 million. People were telling me, don't think too much, just get the money, just get the money because money is everything here. I was like, why would the hell just I go back to Vietnam, build a great business and do all that if it's just to sell it for that amount of money? We were actually having a bunch of people coming and then people had to download the app and scan just to get the beer. That were French people, my people, people were telling me like, why the F do we have just to download an app just to get a beer? And that is nonsense. Welcome to Vietnam Rising Podcast, where we chase dreams and opportunities in Vietnam and also get real with challenges and reality. On this season of Vietnam Rising, I'm your host, Minh Dum, and you and I we will sit down with the shakers and movers in Vietnam to hear about their real stories and why Vietnam is still the place to be. Hello guys, welcome to Vietnam Rising Podcast and today we have a very special guest is Slum Trun, CEO of Weissbass. So Weissbass is actually one of the very few startups in Vietnam that has been here for six years and is actually doing something quite unique that I believe that we could say that no one else is doing it around the world. And today, um, for the six year anniversaries, of him being with his startup, we're gonna have a little bit of reflection sessions where we're gonna talk about. Well, um, my journey as a founder for the past six years, how did I handle like, the ups and the downs? How resilience is actually critical uh, as a skill for a founder. Uh, and then also like um, in Vietnam, like why did I come back to Vietnam? And also like the, the uh, the experience like uh, when you go the through the success and then like uh, how it can affect a lot of people around you so there are a lot of things to cover yeah yes absolutely and see you in the episode let's take a step back and uh, tell the audience like mm. what's wise bass sure and why we're talking about like this uncertainty that. Uh, the wise bass origin story uh, what I can say like uh, when I introduce wise bass. Uh, to make it simple, it's actually a marketing platform. And what we do is just to connect the brands and the consumers through an app. Uh, consumers can just subscribe like on Netflix, you know, just download the app, sign up, and just pay a flat fee every month. And that's pretty much it. So that's how it works. And uh, that's, that would be the introduction. The way uh, uh, it works for the brands is pretty simple. Like the brands would say, you have a bunch of products or services that would like to offer for free to the subscribers of Wisepass. Mm -hmm. uh, an example of that would be, let's say, a liquor brand. Mm. So I'm not going to mention like any brand, but let's say a whiskey brand would like us to uh, build a consumer base of whiskey consumers. Mm. So let's say they have a thousand whiskey bottles, mm -hmm. so they can just splash it on the market and select the bars of the restaurant they want to partner with. And uh, they would say, okay, that whiskey bottle is uh, entry level and then it's going to cost you three pass or five pass. They decide actually. Mm. And then the subscribers will have different plans like on Netflix. So you get the standard plan, you get the premium plan, you've got the whatever plan. But every plan will have just a price and then a set amount of pass per day. So let's say I'm a premium member and then I have 100 pass per day. And then that whiskey brand allows me just to pick up a bottle for only 10 pass. Mm -hmm. So I get to the bar and scan and actually get my bottle for free. 
Mm. That's it. Uh, if it's a service, I remember we did that. It was like Ducati. Mm-hmm. So Ducati was actually more about like test drive. So for, let's say, three pass, you can get to the showroom, you scan, and then you'll be able just to try the new Divoli 60, if I recall. Mm. And then you can enjoy uh, the, uh, the test drive. Uh, and then Ducati will be able to have like a consumer base of people mm. interested in driving motorbikes. So that's actually uh, it works. But the real value uh, when you talk about WisePass is how we can really uh, use data properly in marketing. So brands can be more relevant and stay relevant to the consumers uh, and they have to be uh, using a data-driven mindset. So it's easy to say, I want to be data-driven, I want to be this and that. The question is more like, how do you do this from A to Z? And so you can create value and then you can monetize that. So that's actually where people are getting stuck because they're like, okay, I got a bunch of emails. What do you do with the emails? Uh, I send newsletter. I can actually do that. But then how do you measure the sales? How do you measure something meaningful or a marketing matrix that will be good for the brand? And this is uh, the whole research uh, I've actually uh, worked on six years ago. There you go. Mm. So that is kind of why it's in several steps. So I don't try to lose you. Okay. And then let's get back to the question, which is, yeah, Lynn, how's was Weisbad doing oh. like entire so, during this entire time? So uh, for the because you work directly with consumer and you work directly with brands, you can actually see data mm. of like how consumers are reacting and how's brand or like, responding to all this campaign. Yeah. So I'll I'll do like a really quick like uh, sixty seconds for six years, so mm-hmm. ten seconds per year. Okay. So the way it started is actually we 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 launched in two thousand fifteen. But then we were failing miserably for the first 12 months because we didn't know how to do redemption and we didn't know how to get paid. Mm. But then in 2000, in the end of 2015, we started to know how to get redemption right, meaning consumer, come, scan, and get something. So we solved that part. Second is, well, we need to make money, right? So how do, how do we make money? Mm. So in 2016, we figured that out. And we figured that out by actually setting a subscription where people just put the credit card, just get charged once a month, and then would get something in exchange, which is like the famous whiskey bottle mm-hmm. every night for $6 million. So now we were getting paid every month by a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Number three, that's great. But then how do you grow and make sure like this is going to be something very big? Mm-hmm. So we, need this, we needed this uh, capital just to grow faster, which we happened to have in 2017. So we got this $400,000 investment from Expert in Singapore. Mm-hmm. And that ha- enabled us just to grow like from Ho Chi Minh City to Hanoi uh, and then Thailand and Bangkok and Manila. Mm-hmm. So we knew that, okay, so actually this is not a Vietnamese thing. It could work in many countries. People are drinking everywhere. Mm-hmm. And then it's more than just drinking now because you could eat, you can get coffee, you yeah. can watch movies, you can do a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. In 2019, then there was another thing which is more about finance, which is you get the money from subscription now that we're doing subscription. Yeah. But then we had to pay back all the vendors. Yeah. But now we started to work with brands that would actually sponsor all the products and services. Mm-hmm. And that changed everything for the finance because yes. like when we did that, so we didn't have any cost anymore when someone else scans for something. Yeah. So I would like to pause you right there and try to explain it better. So, because I, 
been following Wise Pass journey for a long time already. Well, we know each other like four years, I think. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So I've known Wise Pass since the original, like early models to now. And the difference is that you can imagine Wise Pass model before is kind of like insurance, right? So more people who buy the insurance, then you have a big capital, and whoever used and used paying the cost for that person. But the problem with that model, like like you just said, is that every customer use it. It's not like insurance where you buy it and then there's people using it and there's people not using it. For WiseBass, whenever a customer use it, like buy it, they try to maximize their investment by, for example, WiseBass used to have a f- famous, um, well-known uh, deal, which is you pay for six millions, which is $300 a month, and you get a w- one whiskey bottle a night. So basically, if you counting by the cost, if you have like four nights of whiskey bottles, then you would just three nights, yes. And then you just recover all the costs, right? But then that makes the stress on twice less finance because that's mean like the bigger you grow, more costs you have to operate. And now they're changing that. They're changing it to instead of them paying for whatever the customer use, they are getting the brand to sponsor all those products so that right now the customer getting all that, but their cost is basically zero. Correct. Mm-hmm. And that is such a very interesting journey of market fit and product fit, right? Because for Stop, it's very important to find market fit when <clears throat> you're building something very new, like Swisebass is like a lifestyle app um, platform where people can try different things for a monthly fee. And yeah, I think it's a, a a very cool, very interesting journey just to be able to watch Wisebat grow from the beginning to now. Because mm-hmm. like uh, when we looked at the, um, so our name is Wise Pass, right? Yes. So what we realized is a bunch of other companies were like something pass. So let's say like uh, in the US, there's a, a company called like Movie Pass. Mm. You would pay like $10 or something like that. And then you can watch any movies you want, unlimited. It's crazy. and then. What happened? Well, they were losing a lot of money because like a lot of people were just watching a bunch of movies and then you would lose the money and they would lose uh, a lot of money. They actually ended, uh, they crashed and burned. Yes. Class pass. They're actually in the gym. Gym. Uh, but then here's the difference. They didn't crash and burn. They have a huge investment so they can sustain that. And then they can actually grow the model and eventually become something really big enough. And then they can reach a critical mass. So they get all around the countries in the world and then eventually uh, win. That's possible. But this is uh, assuming that investors follow you mm-hmm. and still believe in you. Yes. And then if they don't, then you're pretty much dead as a founder. Yes. Well, I mean, like you can... Because of 2019 is where we work and uh, Uber and then like um, a lot of those startups been, you know, like a lot of scandal, like fail IPO and everything. Mm -hmm. So it makes a huge hitch on other startup like community because now founders start getting scared of the growth model where you just burn all the money. Especially we didn't have a case like that in Vietnam where it says we fit. And so I was about to say, and we yes. fit is basically like a, a victim of that, which is like they can't do like class pass because it's really mm-hmm. hard just to start from Vietnam and actually just copy class pass and fight uh, yes. against them. Mm-hmm. It is really hard just to, 
Well, uh, another one in, in Vietnam was Le Flair. Le Flair is basically just like uh, an e-commerce website. And basically you order, you get some product, right? Mm -hmm. They started as a niche and they copied the model Vente Privé. Yes. And then uh, they grew really fast. They raised $11 million, but then there was a lot of issues uh, in the execution because like, they realized, well, you're going to turn into an, basically just an e-commerce platform. All the e-commerce platform basically are losing tons of money, yes. millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. And the, to me, to be honest, like, the reason why like, uh, they're still able to survive is because there's a strong belief from the owners, the investors that retail You just put a big website where you can buy whatever you want and then we deliver it to you. Is working. Then Alibaba purchased Lazada mm -hmm. and then Shopee is actually now like listed so they have tons of cash and then it grows. Mm -hmm. And the mantra is actually if the top line is going like crazy, valuation goes up, that's good for me as a shareholder, then I can just invest now and actually resell maybe two, three, four, five years later. Yeah. And for in Vietnam, so I was a head of marketing of Tiki. So mm -hmm. for Tiki, it's pretty much the same. Losing a lot of money, but uh, still growing really fast. Yeah. But then, like the the biggest risk is actually uh, just to not have enough cash just to sustain that model for the next 10 years. Mm. So that's not. Yeah, that's that's where I feel like I don't know. Like it's kind of like a money game where investors are like, oh, I'm I'm trying to get in early enough so I can cash out before this crashing down but eventually if you following the startup models where you're just burning a lot of money to grow and you don't really, you don't really make profit along the way um how are you going to sustain in the next like 20 years like if startup is something that you just planning to build um just to make money in five years and seven years and i don't you know basically i feel like e-commerce startups in general they damage the market a lot by doing a lot of promotions in Vietnam, like right now, like even Grab and everything, like right hailing, like everybody is doing a lot of promotions. It's great for consumer, but they don't think in a long term where because of that, no customer will ever pay you on the full price. So that's the thing, like for, so Grab, right? Yeah. Uber, Go Would you, do you Do you think that they're going to eventually profitable? Uber still not profitable. They're actually on the stock market and they reported like hundreds of millions of dollars in losses. Mm. So I don't see any, so what they call is path to profitability. Mm. So uh, what they have to do is just to raise like billions of dollars yeah. and figure it out. Basically like this is a risk and yeah, it's risky and that's the way it is in tech. Number two is, uh, let's say, You pretty much are the mercy uh, from investors if you're the founder because yeah. like that's a, that's the way it is. And uh, as a founder, I decided like okay, so how can I not rely on investor? I'll actually reduce the risks from fundraising by actually pivoting the model. So if I grow the subscribers, yes, then the profit will go along. Yeah. So that's one. And uh, if I manage to do that, then um, what's gonna how it's gonna change uh, the business? how it's going to change like the, uh, the relationship with the investors. Mm -hmm. So um, that was really important because like when you're a founder then trying to do something new, uh, you have a lot of stress because you, you don't know so many things. Yes. So every year I'm trying to do one big thing. I'm just trying to solve one big problem. Yeah. And that's it. Not trying just to go and do everything. Mm -hmm. So the minute you solve this problem and then you become profitable, which we happen to be in 2019, November, mm -hmm. December, yeah. then we realized that uh, it, we delivered that message. 
And then uh, this is how we got the funding in March 2020. And this is when we realized that, okay, so that's going to work. And then if we do this properly, then we'll be able just to grow the business and uh, go very fast after that if we want to. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's just different mentality, right? So we have a few other uh, recently episodes on that. We talk about, um, you know, when to when to give up, which mm. is like a sustainable model for sub, which you go for profit or which you go for various round uh, fundraising, which which path is better for Isara. So, so I have specific questions for you as a founder is that why... Is it worth it to be so resilient and persistent in your stuff? Well, the uh, necessity to be resilient, uh, and that's one of the articles I wrote about like the five qualities of an entrepreneur is you will face and you will have to go through so many challenges. Yeah. Meaning like whatever you try, your chances to succeed is always low. So that means that you will fail most of the time. If you're not used to fail, and actually learn from your failures, then you're not going to be fit for entrepreneurship because like you will, if you're that good all the time, mm-hmm. you have the feeling that everything I do, I always succeed. Yeah. So that's good if you succeed all the time, by the way. But the, in this industry, like when you start something, you're unlikely to succeed all the time. So the re- resilience is actually a skill, like an emotional skills or intellectual skills. That enables you to really like bounce back from like all the stuff that will go down. And because you know exactly how just to bounce back, then you'll be able like just to not uh, get glued with all the negative emotions because of the failures. You'll be able to see and take a look at uh, the situation and say, okay, something went wrong. Why? What can I do next? That's it, right? And then, so that's the intellectual part, like the logical one. Yeah. Emotionally, uh, feeling bad is actually so not good. Yeah. But then it's all about like how do you embrace with the fact that things will go wrong in life in general. Mm-hmm. If you are not used to that, that's that. Well, you won't be pretty much fit for life because like you won't be experienced the fact that sometimes things are not going to you with in your way. Yeah. Take me a, take me to an example or like a story where one of the big learning lesson that you had emotionally and then intellectually from YSF. Sure. Um well I got like many examples, but I'll just pick one. <laughs> take, take give me the most painful one. Uh the most painful one is um so I was in uh District Seven. Yeah. And uh we were doing this event called like Sagonella. Mm-hmm. It was a uh, an event with like some French people, mm-hmm. and at that time, like Vice got this uh, sponsorship with uh, uh, Budweiser, Corona, and all that. Yeah, and then like uh, we were actually having a bunch of people coming, and then people had to download the app and scan just to get the beer. Yeah, but then behind my back, and people were telling me like, why the f do we have just to download an app just to get a beer? And that is nonsense. That were French people, my people. <laughs> that would just tell me such kind of feedback. And um, so, do I feel good? No, not happy about this. It was really unpleasant. Uh-huh. But the main key uh, thing was, um, it was a failure because like there was no product fit, obviously, from the consumers. Uh-huh. And then um, 
there were an unwillingness just to use the product. Emotionally, I felt bad. But then I got pushed forward just to acknowledge the fact that redemption sucks right now. And then there's no clear value proposition. Then that was in July or June 2016. Mm. What did I do? What did I do? It was really simple. I actually didn't do much. I just called my friend and we went to Glow Sky Bar. And then we were just like sitting down, just getting a beer and we paid for that. And then I was just ranting about the fact that French people are just so brutal and all this kind of thing. (laughs) And then um, worse, the bartender actually pushed me like, do you want to buy a bottle? Do you want to buy a bottle? Uh I was like, no, we're just two guys. It's just 5 million. I was like, no. (laughs) And then I got even angrier about the guy because I think I was pushing me like, I got to buy because I had to, I don't know. And then because of that, I just told uh, my friend that, you know what? I'm going to do something. Like now I'm going to call the supplier and I'm just going to buy a bunch of bottles and then just going to make sure that when we go around town with my app for a set amount of money, you'll be able just to get a bottle for free every night. That's pretty cool. doesn't exist. And this is how we find, it found the market fit because like a bunch of people start to buy after that. So it's very funny that based on the fact that people just, you know, throw you some stuff in the face. Uh, you go and ask for uh, a friend for a call and for a, for a beer. Yeah. And then you just like start to find a solution, but just like a one, two, three months later. Mm-hmm. And then this is how it unfolds. So it's not very like you feel bad and then you find a solution the next day. Yeah. It's actually taking time. And then the resilience is uh, a key word people use, but then it means like you need to be able to bounce back. And sometimes... The, the bounce back takes month, mm-hmm. not just days. So uh, you need to be able to take into account the uh, the time. And Would the time you say it's harder for you to digest the emotions of the failure or to digest or figure out the solutions? Which is more on your mind during that figuring out phase? It, it's... <laughs> It's like, you know, like when you get water uh-huh. and you mix it with like some uh, other things, yes. you know, you get a, a very weird mixture. Yeah. So that's actually how the mind works. Like you get a bunch of this thing and this thing. Mm-hmm. But then whenever like you meet that friend in this location that will bring in like this situation when with this context generates a new solution, mm-hmm. then you get this new uh, ingredient that you put in the mixture and then naturally like uh, the liquid becomes super clear crystal clear oh. that is actually how I see it for the uh, the analogy right yeah so um, the hardest part would be how just to feel comfortable with something foggy mm. and that is uh, sometimes people just don't like it they just don't like oh, it's too unclear I want to solve everything it has to be yeah. clear right away now Dude, now now, now. But no, no, it takes time just to solve things. And then if you want something clear right now, just pay your taxes, you know, (laughs) pay your taxes. It's very clear. Doesn't seem that to be that interesting for many people though. But then that's very clear. Yes, that's Uh, true. Another way I look at it is actually to use time. Because when you in the morning in France, uh, especially now during fall and winter time, uh, you get a lot of fog in the morning. Fall? Fog. Fog, okay. And then um, a couple hours later, the fog disappears. Uh So now you can look at the problem differently because the things that were not clear actually are getting clearer. Yeah. And then 
time is helping. Mm-hmm. Other people helping to look at things from a different angle is helping. Yeah. Um, sometimes uh, relaxing, uh, doing nothing. Yeah. Enables you just to have new ideas. Yeah. And then I realized that just doing nothing sometimes is great because your mind's going to wander. Mm-hmm. And then magically, like, you'll have just new ideas popping up. Yeah. Especially when I swim. You swim when you swim. You're just swimming. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, I just swim, so it's mechanical. Like you just go. So basically, they're saying it's in the zone. Yeah. Or you washing the dishes. Mm. You are actually just uh, mechanically doing something else, and then your brain is kind of like, hey, hey, actually, I found something else. Yeah. And then you start to pick up on the idea, and then try that, and then it may still not work, but then you try and you try and you try, and slowly you'll realize that you can figure out a solution that was not obvious. To me, like when you have faced a very complex problem, the enemy is actually the obvious idea. Like mm-hmm. people would say, oh, you just do that, and then like. Uh, if it were that easy, then uh, okay. So there's not it's, it's not very valuable then. Yeah. But then when it's really complex and then you have to do a lot and take a lot of steps just to get there. Yeah. It means like uh, you're building something very valuable in the long term. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we so before when we prepping this episode and we're talking about oh how do we frame this t- episode right? Mm. So we talk about the topic which is. Being in a relationship mm-hmm. with your own startup, right? So you're in a five year relationship with your wife right now. Mm-hmm. How's it like? Well, um, I I mentioned that part because like I realized like I'm a very romantic person. Yes, I believe in true love, mm-hmm. and I think that I don't. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, that's sadly sadly <laughs> for people like uh, looking at me right now. Yes, I believe in true love. <laughs> And then, uh, but I got disappointed by, well, so many times. Mm. But the thing is, like, uh, I remember the first time when I fell in love when I was 18. And you're just all in. You think that you, you're going to solve this problem and you're done. Then you're with this person for, until the end of uh, And then you're going to die and that's yeah. it, right? Uh-huh. So you're just like checking this and you're like, you're, you're like a lot of humility for sure. Uh-huh. Um. But the point is actually, uh, it's about the intensity. It's about the focus. It's about how like you deeply engage and committed to that relationship. So you want to make it work at the end. That's all it's about. And yeah, I actually committed to that relationship because I committed when I came back to Vietnam uh, for my 30. I do this like every 10 years. Like For 10 years, I'm going to do one thing. I will come back to Vietnam and build something great. Mm. Now we know this is wise pass, and now we know this is going to be pretty much like to why that, is that level like, of greatness. Why, uh, why, why did I did that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a um, it's a mental framework uh, mm. because it sets uh, a direction in your life, and it gives you like uh, sometimes when you're getting lost, mm-hmm. uh, it really re- tells you why you actually living. Why so you basically. Doing all that. Um, um, People have a um, crisis like every 10 years. So maybe you just plan ahead. So reduce the effect of the crisis. Well, you, you reduce the, uh, the, the crisis, but you, uh, you're also like um, setting like a clear direction, a goal, an yeah. accomplishment. So like all the rest is secondary. Yeah. So let's say like, why am I back in Vietnam doing all that? It's because I want to build a great business and I'm going to make sure it's going to be great. Mm-hmm. How great and how big? 
well, I mentioned many times earlier in some articles, I'm not sure if I'm going to make it, but at least I have that direction, which is like building a global startup from Vietnam, which mm. is like 15 countries and over a billion dollar in revenue, which mm -hmm. is crazy because today when I'm thinking about all the numbers I have right now, well, today uh, I'm maybe going to rewatch this show maybe four or five years later and then you'll say, well, actually the dude didn't make it or actually maybe I, I made it. But the point is, okay, I know where I want to go and that's the most important part. And then all your decisions after about like, what do you do? What do you want to go out meet this person or this person is actually all about like, is this going to help me just to reach that goal? And is it going to really uh, make me grow as a person so I can actually be fit for that relationship with my company so that company can grow? Yeah. So that's uh, the mental framework. Sure. And for people, uh, well, I'll give you like a very specific example. A year ago, I got an offer where a company wanted to buy my business for $3 million. Mm. It screwed up my mental framework in a way where I had to rethink about everything because people were telling me, uh, you should sell the business, don't sell the business. Mm -hmm. You should sell the business. And the mental framework was, just get a, a million dollars in your pocket now. And then you're fine. And then you don't have to worry. You can just get coffee every morning. And then you just don't have to worry about life. And that's okay. And then my question was like, yeah, but what's the direction in my life? Now? Yeah, what's the point? What's the point of why when you finally get $1 million and you just stop working? And people were like, no, what, what do you think? Don't think too much. Just get the money. Just get the money because money is everything here. I was like, yeah, well, you know what? If I were just like that, then I would stick at Google and do nothing else but just getting my cash, putting a bunch of money in real estate, get the rental. Uh, I'm doing a rental investment. Uh -huh. And then that would be much easier. Why would the hell just I go back to Vietnam, build a great business and do all that if it's just to sell it for that amount of money and actually not really grow to the level I want to? That's mm -hmm. number one. And back, uh, 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 so that's actually you should sell and then you shouldn't sell. Then um, when I thought about like why I came back to Vietnam to sell, no, sorry. To came back to Vietnam just to build this company. It's not just to sell uh, this like after a couple of years. You want this to be your legacy? Sure. Because like uh, the point is just to make it a, a really meaningful uh, action. So that has an impact in the country. And then if you have a global startup, which is making more than a billion dollars a year or in more than 15 countries, that is a great thing you can leave to the next generation and the next generation take over and say, look, you know what? There was no startup from Vietnam that managed to grow that big in, in geographically and mm -hmm. also like in, in terms of revenue, right? Yeah. So now that I did it, if I managed to do that, mm -hmm. you guys do more than me and yeah. then you actually beat me. Great. So stimulate the... The, the challenge, like go next and make it $10 billion, mm -hmm. 100 countries, try yeah. to do that. I'll just do my part. You guys do your part. And from 2020 to 2030 or 40, you do it. And then I'm good. I've done my part. Yeah. Let's address rumors and haters. So for rumors, like what I heard, let's say last year was actually the company was struggling and we would die. Yeah. That's actually how brutal that was, right? Yeah. Uh, the problem is actually... Those people sometimes would be just repeating things from other people they would hear from because they think that this is a truth. Yes. Um, I'm not going to give names, but then uh, <laughs> that's, that's what happened. Yeah. 
And the problem after that is uh, those people don't have that much information. They just don't, maybe they hate us. Yeah. And then they're just going to spread some negative information. And that's going to happen all the time. So again, if you have enough resilience, Mm -hmm. then you just have to embrace the fact that some people will just have only one thing in mind, which is to destroy you or whatever they want to do. But this is emotional. Yeah. It's actually more a problem when it's logical. Mm. It means like someone else is going to compete against you very smart, very well funded, mm-hmm. very great team, yeah. with a very, very uh, great ability to execute and with the same strong focus as me for the next 10 years. So that would be a problem for me. Yeah, I don't even see anyone else doing this. It's more like a lot of emotional people that would just maybe have one day a bad experience, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, because of that, they would just like spread some bad words and that's fine. So how did I address the rumor about the fact that WisePass would die by the end of 2019, early 2020? That's fine. Well, I worked very hard on a solution. Mm -hmm. I just got funded. Mm -hmm. And instead of listening to other people saying bad things about me, about WisePass, then I focus on what is it that will solve this problem? Mm. Then luckily we got funded. Ah. That actually kind of solved the problem. And then um, that will not solve the problem of haters. Because yeah. like the minute that uh, they say something wrong, mm-hmm. because like they say, oh, he's going to die, but eventually he's not. Yeah. Then they're like, oh, well, yeah, but they will come up with something yeah, else. Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And that's okay because I, I got great training with my big brother and we keep fighting with <laughs> each other every day about stuff and then we try to shoot at each other. Uh-huh. So when I look at all the people trying to say bad stuff about me and if they could attend... <laughs> one of my sessions with my big brother fighting nastily for a whole afternoon, <laughs> you would say like, that's nothing. So yeah. that's the way I handle uh, haters. Um, now, a hater doesn't just become a hater just like that, right? Yes. Um, so I realized as well, like how can we ensure that we are um, generating the least amount of haters? Uh, I don't think this is something you can just avoid, but this is something you can reduce. Yeah. And the way we look at it is, um, especially this year and onward, like the way we uh, operate now is more like system. Uh, we're system driven. We are purely like all about like how we can use data and actually create value for the consumers. And we're all about like how just to make sure those consumers can enjoy. But consumers are just one part of the equation. We work basically with three stakeholders, the brands, the venues, and the stakeholders, but the consumers. So those are the three stakeholders. Mm-hmm. So we make sure like all of them are happy and we look at anything that can go wrong. Mm. So I don't know if you, uh, I'm a pretty much big fan of um, uh, horror movies. You know why? Especially Final Destination. Okay. Final Destination, like death is kind of following you and then anything that can go wrong and kill you will yeah. happen. Uh-huh. So this is pretty much like my mindset right now. Like when I think about like, I'm going to do that, what can go wrong mm. in every single step? And then we try to mitigate all the risks, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then by doing so, you will be able just like to ensure the best consumer experience. But I'm guessing that, you know, it also takes a lot of pressure for you to just, um, you know, when you say, oh, if you're saying that I'm not going to make it, I'm going to make it or... Does that put the pressure on you to have to do it or have to able to prove that their word or the rumors are wrong? Well, that's filtering the noise, right? Mm-hmm. If some people say that you're not going to make it, that's not very productive. Mm. 
But if they're saying that you're not going to be able to make it because if you pitch it that way, that won't work. But if you do pitch it that way, then I think it's going to be more convincing. That's something you can actually listen to. And then mm. you change and then you can actually focus on doing so. So I got two different feedback from people that were telling me, you're not going to make it. One was just saying, oh, I just don't believe in that. Okay. And then another one said, you should say this as well. Because like when you demonstrate that and you actually break even the company, which I, uh, we did mm-hmm. in November and December, then that will increase your chances just to demonstrate that the company has reached a tipping point where, okay, so now that you've proved it with the numbers, now like you're in a stronger position. And now you can actually tell investors, well, look, that happened. Um, and this is when like uh, you just focus all your mind on that and then you just like filter as much as you can the noise. That's uh, the, the, the key thing. Most of the time people like when they freak out or even investors, they can freak out as well. Then mm. okay. But then you're the founder. You're the one, especially when you're the CEO, like you're the one who's going to take the hit, the stress, uh, the problems or everything. That's, you're supposed to be the most um, stable person yeah emotionally like okay this is happening this is happening fine this is not the end of the world just because you get a social media crisis because someone else tried to stab you in the back Mm. because some employees were not happy because they got fired because whatever or venue doesn't work with you because uh whatever reason like and then like that's very funny because like they all try to make it personal they try to, to 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 do things like as if like I am a human being, so in terms of a human being, I am a human being, but I'm mostly the CEO of Wisepass, and then I have to make decisions as the CEO, not just as Lam Tran. And Lam Tran will have his personal life that I actually separate, now I try to separate extremely well mm-hmm. and make sure that I can focus on doing what's supposed, what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm focused for every quarter on a few goals. How do you gain the trust of people who are having doubt then? Well, it's time and consistency. Some people just say, so you're a vacuum, you're, you're not trustworthy. Uh, you are, uh, you're too charming. Oh, wow. That's, that's, that's a nice one also. Mm. Uh, it's like a nice way of like, you, you're, he, he you're will t- recognize himself, by the way. So, uh, <laughs> You are, can I say, uh, you just started, like you got nothing. Okay, fair enough. You've got, uh, you don't know anything about FNB. So that was like more like six years ago. You are not a tech guy. because You I'm, are a tech guy though. Well, so um, apparently some people don't think that. Uh, you are, uh, you just don't know much about finance and then that, especially during the first couple of years where we just like focused so much on marketing and brands we were not able to really click well with VCs because VCs wanted to understand much about branding branding is such a f- an expertise that finance people they look at numbers they don't uh. look at the the branding they were like okay that's just marketing but they'll have the the they'll look marketing on the surface and look at Oh, it's just spending a lot of money to get customers. And this is how the financial people will look at it. Yeah. They don't know, like, how do you create brand awareness? Why, why do you do that? What kind of impact? How does it work? How do you generate brand engagement, brand loyalty, brand promotion? How do you do all this? Especially when you don't have, like, uh, a system. 
And that's an art, and that's uh, that's uh, why there's a marketing department, right? Yeah. So, and then there's branding, and actually, the digital in the digital age, you have more numbers. So that's very complex. Yeah. Um. So to bring the trust, to be honest, like some people just don't want to trust you because there's no such like um positive emotional engagement. Mm -hmm. And then like what you do is just to convince people one by one. And then the one that will trust you, then they're here. And the one that won't trust you, they won't be here. And then also like, do those people need you? Or do they have also like a big ego? It happens. And then uh, if yes, great. If not, fine. And my answer now is actually, I just build a system. You use it. And then that's it. And then if you don't want to trust me, that's fine. And then you're going to be able to go on and do your stuff by yourself. Mm. And then... Uh, I realize that people that we are short-term driven, like they'll have to make decisions, and I understand that. And they have two different ways to answer. Like they just don't answer at all after the meeting, mm. or they just say no and they explain why. And it's just like sometimes like, you need to find the right fit. And f the the trusting part is more about like uh, the time you spend. So it's been six years now, so it's easier for me. Mm -hmm. But then also the consistency, like especially the people that follow me for years, they know it wasn't up all the time. Yes. So like when they saw like the funding done, they saw the revenue grow a hundred times uh, from 2016 to 2018. They realized, okay, well, shit, uh, it's actually working. And now like we're sending 2000 people a month just to really scan something else. That starts to be pretty big now. So it's just a, uh, a size effect. And then uh, it's, uh, you know, like... Uh, Does it make you appreciate people who have been following you and then like who've been trusting Wise Bass since the beginning? Sure. It's just like um, um, appreciating those people, meeting them and eventually trying just to, to spend more time with them is actually something I do sometimes. But then uh, also like this... Especially like when you start in a city, seems like the city where you start is actually the toughest city. Really? It's very tough on you. But when you go to other cities, it's actually, um, how to say that, more welcoming. Uh. Because they're like, oh, you started here and now you're expanding. Mm. So because you're expanding now, they have this trust uh, initial factor because like they, well, which is maybe like, uh, because that's the uh, first thing they think of. You did it there, then you're doing it here, so it seems to work. So that's actually a, a nice, welcoming factor. How is the difference between the way people treat you during your ups and then during your down? Mm. Kind of the, the, those same kind of people? Like, how is it like? And what makes you realize that, oh, they're treating me differently? How are you feeling about it? Uh, there are so many things to share about. Uh, let's say... When you actually on the verge of success or you start to achieve things, you'll see a lot of people like, um, you see more people in general. So there's like maybe not the same pool of people, right? But you'll see more people like coming to you mm. and trying to do business with you. Yes. So they say, okay, this guy has this marketing platform, lifestyle app where I can maybe do this and this and that. Yeah. So they can see that they make, they can build something on my platform. So, get more people trying to do business with when it's going down then you see much less people who can see things because it's on on the downhill yeah right? 
So that's the first remark. Second is um, you can see as well, like more people want to come and work for you when you start to be more and more successful. And for the good reasons and for the bad reasons, like the good reasons would be like, because they know about me, they heard about like the business, they're interested, they're curious about it. Some people just want to be riding on the, on piggyback on the success of this startup because like it starts to become big. They don't want to be missing out. So they want to jump on the, on the bandwagon. And actually they say, okay, I'm, I'm from that startup. I mean, it's cool because those guys starts to be successful. So I am proud of actually be part of this company, even the ex-employee. I remember like an, an employee was working for, for us and then she worked in Hanoi. I met her again and then like people were asking her like, oh, you're from WisePass. So that's actually the situation, the attitude, the behavior like is changing, it's changing positively. And obviously like when it's the opposite, like things going down, then like people will suddenly lose um, faith or the the belief in the company just because they see the signals, right? Mm -hmm. And was it, how was it for you when you see that kind of change? Like, does it hurt you? Do you feel like, yeah, I don't know. Like, do you feel like you get hurt because of it? I would say yes, of course. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's back to resilience, right? Mm. Ups and downs happening all the time. What do you do about this? Mm. I mean, like, it's great to go up, but then how long can you go up? Yeah. How can you, how, how long can you handle the downs? And then this is very like the, the time where you, your, your faith is tested, your belief uh, is tested. Because like everything is showing that uh, it doesn't get to the right direction. Now you can't change that within the next 60 minutes or 16 days or 60 days. So for a very certain amount of time, that's not going to be a very pleasant time at all. What do you do? Um, fortunately, actually, I had the experience of uh, going through that thing uh, during my first year of business school. I actually failed my first year because I just failed for the finance uh, class. Mm. So uh, I came to the finance class teacher and say, uh, look, look, I failed my stuff. Like, can you help me to do this thing? And then the guy told me, no, you can't. Mm. So he just told me, young man, you have to take my class again. And then I would have to wait the whole year and just go for his exam. So what I did, so that's a year. It's not even like one hour or two, two months. So what I did was actually to uh, acknowledge the fact that I would have to uh, retake the class. And instead I built something else around. I actually took that year where I had only one class to take. And I actually went back to New York where I just finished my internship because they were ready to uh, get me back. Yeah. And then actually worked very hard and they studied like finance like crazy, got the best grade in, in the business school uh, the very next year. And that's it. But it took me a year and just realized that if I want to solve this problem, then this is where I'm going to solve this problem. So when you go down, you acknowledge, but then you think about like, what can I do? Mm. Where can I go? And then, how long it will take. Yeah. And emotionally, can I handle the bad feelings for now? Mm -hmm. And then for another month or two mm -hmm. or for another year or two. Mm -hmm. And then from here, like you just grow back. So that's actually how I handle the, uh, the downs. Yeah. What's going to be like 
for Wisepass right now mm-hmm. in the next few years or next year? Um, let's say for the next year, right? So we build things into different phases. Like from phase zero is really simple. How do we break even? Mm. How do we become cash flow positive? And how long it will take? So that's phase zero. And then it should take less than a year or actually much less than a year just to get back to that. So that's phase zero. Phase one, two, three, four, five is really simple. We measure like how much profit we get on a monthly basis. And then uh, one digit, two digit, three digit, four digit, five digit, and so on and so on. That's just phase one, two, three, four, five, right? And so on. Uh, that depends on the market and our financial performance. That's pretty easy. And then we just make sure that it keeps going up because now that we increase the amount of subscribers, mm-hmm. then we increase the profitability. We increase the profits. So this is very healthy now. So you just push one thing and then it correlates with the profits. Mm. So that wasn't the case before. So for year one or 2021, phase zero and phase one or two, phase five may happen. And then we'll just keep uh, growing the numbers until it's very high. Mm-hmm. And um, officially, I just said the goal, uh, our company valuation now is $4 million. And then I just laid out a plan for the next four years. So it has to grow from four to forty-four million dollars mm-hmm. within the next four years. So the plan is called four-four, and uh, so it's easy, it's catchy, but uh, it is helping me just to really uh, visualize. Okay, so if I want to grow to forty-four million dollars, how many subscribers do I need? So I just made the numbers like twenty-five thousand subscribers and forty dollars per month on average. It could be like uh, let's say forty thousand subscribers for twenty dollars per month and uh it depends so that's um that's pretty much like the um the the goal sorry not 40 50 000. so uh the monthly revenue is a million dollars per month and then uh, that would be 12 million dollars a year and that's how actually uh, how we get our 44 million dollar valuation so uh that's for so the next four years but then we break it down into smaller phase so we'll just break even first, be cash flow positive, get more cash in the bank every month, mm. and then report this uh, to the tax. Uh, get this uh, uh, financially audited. That's fine. Uh, make sure you automate everything. So like you just get more and more subscribers. You can get free trial. You can get new subscribers. That's great. So just get more and more and more. And the more you get, mm-hmm. then the more revenue. Yeah. So that's actually the uh, the way we envision the next four years. And then this is when I hit my 40s, and this is when I'll be done. Okay. Um, one, uh, one more question is, mm-hmm. um, when you say these kind of valuations and kind of plan, mm-hmm. do you really believe in it? Or you are, pos- are you saying is, as part of like, oh, I'm telling this to people so you they know that there's my goal, or and you and it's, it's kind of like a way to, you tell yourself that it's gonna happen to. It's more like it's a personal goal. Mm. I want to build this to forty four million, but that's not even a billion dollar business. Yeah. First of all, uh, personally, I would love to do more. Yeah, but I gotta be realistic. Mm. But I have to be interesting with the investors. But um, 
so you you build those constraints or those parameters where you, you look at is it feasible to find twenty five thousand people paying every month for that amount of money per month in Southeast Asia because this is not Vietnam but yeah, yeah. Southeast Asia. And my sh- short answer for me is yes, like twenty five thousand people paying that amount of money in around um, seven countries, six seven countries, that's feasible. Um, now the question is. Is it going to be profitable and cash flow positive? Short answer is yes. Then how fast will you get there? So that depends on the funding that we get. Mm-hmm. But then uh, if we don't get the funding, that's fine. We can do it. But then we won't maybe reach 25,000 within four years. Maybe even less because we'll figure out something else. Mm. And that's customer acquisition. Us, well, subscriber acquisition. And then um, based on that, uh, I have obviously to believe that I can do that. The second is uh, how is actually the big question. So customer acquisition and uh, most probably the cost involved to do such things. So the engineering of uh, the um, customer onboarding mm-hmm. and getting the money is actually a key here. But that's just like the end part where you look at the cash coming in. You have to look at that, like, why would the money come in? Why are bunch of human beings would be ready to pay with their cars to get the product or the service that I sell. Mm-hmm. And that comes back to the brand that will do all those uh, activities. But then why do, the, why do the brands want to do this kind of thing? Because they want to do branding activities, which is called activation. Activation is to engage uh, consumers and, generate a, and trigger a positive feelings with the consumers. Oh. Okay, that's why. So now they need to do all this kind of thing. Yeah. And now we measure all that for them. And then because we do all that for them, not in one country, but across multiple markets, we have value. Mm. So uh, it's a long thought process where you have to think about, yes, okay, uh, that's numbers, but why is it going to happen? Because those numbers are high and low and all this. Mm -hmm. And then now the question is, why do you put uh, $25,000 subscribers and not 10 times more? Mm. Is it possible? Well, the short answer is yes as well, and maybe with an RPU. So instead of $40 on average per subscriber, you'll make it only 30 or 25 Yeah. But then you get a larger revenue uh, size. Yeah. So it's possible. It's just like uh, we try to do that first, and then if we can get much bigger, that's fine, and we'll do it. Cool. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, thank you for a great answer. And also, I think that's a great wrap-up for the episode. Mm. And uh, yeah, so if for people who want to reach out to find out what Swipe Swipe is and, you know, like if they want to see more of your work, your writings, uh, your articles, then mm-hmm. how can they reach you? Uh, it's really simple. They can simply uh, get on the Facebook page of WisePass and just send a message. Awesome. There you go. Thanks for inviting me to your show. Thank you for uh, being awesome. And thank you, the audience, you guys, for tuning in on the episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you do, uh, you know, rate us on iTunes. Uh, give us the feedback. Let Glums know how much you like the episodes. Uh, our social media handles are Vietnam Rising Podcast on all the handles or Vietnam Risings. And I, I'll see you in the next episode. See you guys. Bye-bye. Bye.